Today's podcast interview with Jade from Lumbia & Co. is being published on Women's Equality Day, which is the day in the U.S. when women were granted the right to vote. This year, Women's Equality Day is even more special to me because by the time this airs, I expect to have given birth to a beautiful baby girl, who I know if she's anything like the women in her family before her, will be a great force for hope and change in the world. I'm so happy and fortunate that she'll grow up in a place where we can push to make sure her voice is heard, and I know that she'll be a part of a better future. I've also picked for Jade's interview, which was originally an Instagram Live that aired in July to be our podcast for today because Jade is a businesswoman running a business where the products are entirely women-made by a major indigenous women's group in Colombia, the YU. Jade's business, Lumbia & Co., works to ensure these women have consistent work and that their amazing traditional art and craft is preserved. So much of the world and the products sold on Ocelot Market are fueled by incredible women who we know in turn give back to their communities and who truly give me hope the future will be better because more women are making an impact and leading. I hope you enjoyed today's show, and I know Jade and I would love to hear from you for any follow-up comments or questions on Instagram. You're listening to the Artisan Adventures podcast, brought to you by Ocelot Market, headquartered in the great city of New Orleans, Louisiana, and hosted by Ocelot's lead, Michaela. Each week, we chat with professionals working in the sustainability space and brands working with small handmade makers around the globe. The brands we chat with are all paying a fair wage, changing the world through conscious consumption, and maintaining cultural traditions in their production. Thank you for joining us. My hope is that you'll find inspiration and fascination in these unique stories. If you like what you hear, the best gift you can give us is leaving a review, subscribing to this podcast, and spreading the word about Ocelot Market. Thank you again for joining us, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hi everyone, I'm Michaela. I am the lead for Ocelot Market and we're based in New Orleans and really happy to have Jade join us today to talk about her artisan brand venture. We are on a tour of talking to different brands right now with a bunch of different stories that'll go live on a podcast in a, in a couple weeks. But today, definitely digging into Jade's story. And so Jade, I was just wondering for our audience, if you would give a brief introduction and a little bit of background about your entrepreneurial journey. And I, I love your background, physical background. As you can see, I have one of each of the YU bags that we design on display. But about the entrepreneur journey, I first came to Columbia in 2014. And YU bags are extremely popular in Colombia. I think it is the most popular craft. From the very beginning, I've always been very interested in SEO and online marketing. So this whole project actually started off as a blog about Colombian culture, which had nothing to do with white bags. The goal was really to learn about SEO and marketing. And this blog quickly became one of the biggest expat blog references. This was like six years ago in Colombia. And I learned a lot along the way. And everything I learned about SEO and marketing later, I carried all the, the skills that I learned into this e-commerce of white bags. That's great. And you say expat. Can I ask where you're from? I'm originally born in France, but I've lived a little bit everywhere. So I lived a little bit in Florida. I lived a few years in France. I lived a couple of years in Luxembourg, in Spain. And I've been here now in Colombia for over six years. Oh, wow. You must have a fascinating passport. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a very cool passport. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> 
So I was wondering if you could tell us more about the YU culture and the women who you work with and the work they do for Lombia. YU women, the women that make these bags, which is why they're called YU bags, they're a nomadic tribe that lives in the northernmost part of Colombia. And this tribe is a matriarchal tribe where the women not only care for their family, but they are also oftentimes the sole providers. And they live in a very desertic region, but despite the resources being so scarce, they've cultivated the art of crochet over generations. So this art is passed down to them as early as the age of six, but they perfect the art of crochet starting their first menstruation. And during this period, which can be a period of confinement that can last from a couple of weeks to a couple of months to even a couple of years, depending on the capability of the family to take care of this girl for so long. During this period of confinement, she will be dedicated to perfecting her skill set as an artisan. That's great. And can you give us a sense of how long it takes to make one of the bags behind you? Absolutely. So the bags that you see here, they're large bags, and these are double thread bags. So a double thread bag, let's say, let me take this bag, for example, just the body we're talking about will take approximately 10 to 15 days. So they start from the bottom, make their way around, and then they'll work their way up. The 10 to 15 days does not count the strap, does not count the drawstring, and of course, the person that puts it all together and that adds the little finishing, as you can tell, this is quite handmade, and that adds the tassel and pieces it all together. Approximately 10 to 15 days, also, it can take more like 17 to 18 days for a double thread. If we're talking about a single thread, which is the most traditional method of making a YU bag, so I will pull up a single thread for you. Something like this, as you can see, the detail is a lot finer. Something like this will take 20 days and up. Of course, this is just counting the body and as well not counting the finishing. So the difference between a piece like this and a piece like this is about double the time. That's amazing. It's a lot of work for each woman. Yes. Yes. Amazing. And I know you talk a lot about symbology in your blog and was just wondering if you could give us kind of an overview of how symbology is portrayed in the bags, symbology related to the YU culture, of course. Symbology in the YU culture is used to represent everyday ordinary objects. It can be something like the movement of the spoon in the soup, the movement of the snake in the sand because they live in the desert. It could be the shape of the cow's nostrils. It can be one which is very popular, which is a donkey's vulva. (laughs) Symbology is just abstracting very ordinary objects and putting them into YU bags and putting them on their designs. I do use a little bit of symbology. So off the top of my head, there's this one, which uses YU symbology. I don't use it on every single bag because we do like to also make the bags ready for everyday wear and something that appeals to all tastes. But every now and then, yes, we do use YU symbology to honor the YU artists. 
Yeah, I know. I know on your site too. I think you provide like a little guide as to what some of the symbols mean. If anyone wants to check yeah. that out, because there, that... yes, there's a lot of design. There's actually a whole article with a few of them, just a few of them that you can find on the blog, and their meaning, their name, and what they represent, which is a lot of fun. And you can see if the bag you have has one of these designs, which is very cool. Yes. And I will say I should probably check it out because I actually wear a YU bag every day <laughs> and have for like a couple of years now. And I don't think I've ever cross-referenced it. So I should. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. So the next question I kind of wanted to talk to you about is the pandemic impact on your work and the artisans. Were there lockdowns or how did this impact artisans as well as your business? The pandemic that's I believe it's still very much ongoing too in Colombia. Right now, we are not as privileged as citizens in the United States and not everybody has access to a vaccine. Uh, so we are doing it in stages. And right now we are at the stage of vaccinating people that are 45 years old and up. Of course, artisans have had the opportunity to get vaccinated because if I'm not mistaken, indigenous people were one of the first to get vaccinated. Although a lot of them do not believe in Western medicine and have opted to hold off on the vaccine. But this past year and all of 2020, we've been in pandemic. If I'm not mistaken, Colombia has been one of the countries with the longest lockdown in the whole world. How has this affected our production and our artisans in the region of La Guajira, where the artisans are located at the northernmost part of Colombia? They were only able to leave their house once a week based on the last number on their ID. So as a result, they were only able to run their errands one day out of the whole week, which actually played in our favor because they learned to organize themselves instead of running out every single day and buying a little bit of material here, material there. They planned for the whole week. So they actually were able to learn to better organize themselves and raise their production and quantity level, which has been amazing. But in terms of COVID affecting them, they we're lucky in the geographic sense that they are more isolated from the city life and from people. They live in their small community in the deserts. In that sense, they haven't been so hardly hit. But when COVID does hit, they are quite affected because they do not have the same access to health care. We have one, actually one of our main artisans, we have five or six providers and only two days ago, her name is Cecilia Acosta. She is one of the most, she is an eminence in the YU community. And she's a very important YU leader, just died from COVID. So it's still a very real situation that hopefully will come to an end soon. But uh, in terms of production, we haven't been so hardly hit. Actually, it's been a great way for us to get organized. Do you find that it's impacted the number of orders you've gotten, though, in terms of international orders, especially um, the pandemic? In terms of sales, we did not grow in 2020. We're impacted in the fact that we did not increase. We're not able to sell anymore. But people, everybody was online. Everybody was connected. Everybody was shopping online. So we were able to, thank God, maintain our sales. 
compared to 2019, which, I mean, we're very grateful for. Okay. Yeah, that's good. And I mean, hopefully there's only good things ahead. For sure. Yes. I was noticing that we got a couple questions. One person wants to know where you get the thread for, for the YU bags. That's a great question. So in the region of La Guajira, it's very deserted. There's not a lot of access to a wide array of materials. And I know that there is a very common misconception that YU bags are made of a cotton. I think that when you ask an artisan what their bag is made of, they will tell you algodón, which in Spanish means cotton. But in reality, they don't know the material of their bags. For them, algodón is just a fiber, any fiber. Cotton is not a material that's available in the region of La Guajira. And actually, all YU bags, uh, regardless of which store sells them, are all made from acrylic. So all YU bags are 100% acrylic. I know this doesn't sound very sexy. However, this allows two things. First, it allows that the bright colors on the bag stay put. When you wash a bag, the colors will not fade. They will cool their vibrant hues. And second of all, when it gets dirty, acrylic does not absorb stains as much. So it makes it that they're very easy to wash. That's good to know that you can wash the bags too, because I I feel like I've never owned a purse that I was able to wash until now. (laughs) Yeah, you can turn this inside out, pop it in the washing machine on a quick 15-minute cycle, and it comes out brand new. So actually, who produces, answering the question of who produces these threads, these acrylic threads. It's just a big Colombian manufacturer. I think they're called Miratex. Okay, thank you. Same person wants to know what was used before acrylic. And then I think we'll get back to my long list of questions. So before acrylic, cotton was used. In the region before these bags became mass produced or, you know, so many artisans started making these bags, they weren't selling it to the public. They were making it for themselves and they didn't have to produce so many bags. It was just for personal use for, you know, for oneself or your children. And that's it. So at that time, YU artisans used to grow cotton. And then they would dye it using natural dye. So actually, they look nothing, a YU bag from the past before they started getting sold abroad, look nothing like the YU bags today. They had very earthy tones. And of course, they were from cotton. So much more natural. Okay, thank you. I wanted to pivot back to talking about the artisans. And this is kind of building off of some of the answers you said before. But how have you seen the work you do? So the purchases you're able to make for the women artisans who are making the products, how have you seen those purchases impact the lives of the women artisans? That's a very good question. I think that's a question that a lot of customers ask. The mission behind Lombia is to give women financial freedom. This is the end goal. For me, this is so important as this opens up doors for a brighter future for these women and their family. This was a gift that was given to me that has changed my life. And as a result, this business was founded on this concept. And I want these women to have the same opportunity. I want them to raise everyone around them and for them to also make their own financial decisions. So in order to do that, we need to empower them financially and that they have 
the cash flow to be able to make their own decisions, right? As a result, what we do is not only do we give them, we do this two ways. The first is to give them ongoing work so they don't have to be out on the streets, on the market, trying to sell their bags, maybe selling only one or two a day. Here they have a steady flow of sales coming in month after month. Many women we've been working with for over three years. So the first is by providing steady income. And the second is by paying them above market value for these bags. So let's say these bags, they would sell for a dollar, making up a number, but they would sell it for a dollar in La Guajira. We pay 25 to 30% above market price to make sure that it's, they really feel compensated for their time and that their art is valued and that they feel that they can actually make a decent living from their art. So we try to make an impact by empowering them financially. As a result, we've seen a lot of changes in the lives of these women. There's one woman, her name is Rosa. She used to live at her sister's house because, of course, before working with us, she couldn't afford her own place. She was able to move out of her sister's house. Now she met somebody. Uh, she's pregnant. She's actually due in two months. And she's going to be able to start her own family and provide for her family, which has been amazing. This same person, Rosa, was also able to save for her community like the communities in the desert, don't have a lot of resources. A lot of the people in this community were going to the mountains every time they had to go to the bathroom. There was no bathroom. There was no toilets. And she was actually able to build a toilet in the community. So every time somebody needs to go, they don't need to run out in the mountains or in the river. They can stay in their community. And I think this is also extremely important for sanitation her sister also works with her and has been able to put her daughter through school and she's been able to pay her monthly her monthly school fees for her daughter which has been just such a joy to see we have other women who have been able to provide for their entire family which isn't only providing for their children but also providing for their mother their grandmother their in-laws their brothers and sisters it's been it's been just really amazing seeing the women that have been working with us for over for over a while now for over a year sometimes two or three the impact is massive that's amazing. And that's the story of being able to add a bathroom to the community is, is definitely very tangible and very amazing. The consistency, I'm sure, is great from a peace of mind vantage point in terms of the consistency of orders and orders ahead of time. What is the day like for these women? I know that's changed for the pandemic, but in terms of what is their typical day like in terms of these making bags and the familial commitments, community commitments, more just curious what it looks um, like. So a lot of these women are doing all the heavy lifting in the house. And on top of that, a lot of them are the sole providers. So they'll wake up with the sun at 5, 6 a.m. They'll start cooking for their children. They'll start caring for their elderly. And they'll start crocheting is something that happens as you go. So they'll crochet a little bit in the morning while they're doing their other household chores. Then once everyone's settled in the morning, they'll 
sit on a hammock in the shade and keep on crocheting with other ladies. This is a very communal activity. So they'll chit chat as they crochet. And then right before lunchtime, they'll get up, they'll prepare lunch again. So, you know, they set their craft aside, make sure everybody's fed. And then in the afternoon, they'll pick up again and crochet up until dinner time. In these communities, a lot of the times there's no electricity. If they do have electricity, it's solar powered, but this is not very common. And they'll usually go to bed with the sun. With the sun. A long day. (laughs) Um, It's a very long day. Two more questions that came in were, where are you from? And you are from France. I answered that earlier. And then how long have you worked on this project? Because I think you were just alluding to having doing this for years. Yes, I started in 2014. So I actually didn't start by designing the bags, but I started just buying ready-made YU bags and selling on third-party websites. And over the years, after building solid relationships with the artisans and really trying to get involved with the community, about two years later, Lombia started to finally have its own line. And we've been at this since, yes, for the past six years. I started this project a few months after I arrived in Colombia. Yeah, and I believe we've talked before that you started it. You had a full-time job and like many entrepreneurs who start their entrepreneurial journey, they have a full-time job and then slowly hope to transition or, or um, and you did make the transition at some point a couple of years ago. And that's, I mean, that's amazing, but that's definitely very a very common story that I hear is people working a full-time job and then being able to transition. Yes. I was very lucky in the sense that I had my basic needs covered by my partner, so I didn't have to pay any bills. And like I previously mentioned, I was given the gift of financial freedom uh, from a very strong woman in my family, which is my grandmother. And with this little bit of money, I was able to not only start this project, but It wasn't enough for me to just throw myself into it. So I was freelancing when I arrived to Colombia and I was freelancing and then I had this project on the side. It took me a couple of years because my freelance jobs pay me quite well. So it was hard to make the jump. And I actually freelanced for three years before I made the jump full-time to these white bags. So it's been only three years since I've been full-time. And the jump was amazing. I remember the month that I just couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't do both. And sales were growing with the YU bags, yet I still couldn't make the full transition. And I'm going to tell you, Michaela, the month I quit my freelance and I dedicated 100% of my energy to the bags, whatever I was making freelance that I gave up that month it more than made up for in sales that same month in bags. It's something amazing. Just the energy that you put in a project directly came back. It was 100% worth it. And then from there, I've never looked back. That's amazing because that, that jump is very, very difficult. You know, the, for some reason, all of a sudden you start worrying if you're going to be able to afford your bills. But even though you know you've planned the numbers and this is viable. <laughs> so what's a typical Lombia day like for you? How do you manage running all aspects of this business? Especially, I mean, you do a phenomenal job with marketing and good tools you recommend as well. I automate a lot of things. 
but what does a typical day look like? Since October, so during pandemic here in Bogota, we were really under a strict lockdown and I live in quite a small apartment and I just couldn't wait to get out. So the minute October hit, I ran out the door and started looking for an office. I found an office. So since October 2020, I was able to get my own space for the bags and move out of this guest bedroom. And a typical day is receiving new bags. I do have an operational manager, so she will help me pack orders. She will help me process incoming bags and everything that has to do with office work. I automate a lot. So I might use tools like Zapier. I have, you know, Trello to stay organized. Zapier has been quite a lifesaver. It automates a lot of small tasks. I have someone to help with social media and then I, I schedule my posts using later. So I do have quite a few tools to help me stay on top and stay present because it would be very hard to do it all by myself. <laughs> That's amazing. I know Zapier is like the, the next big thing I need to tackle because like they, it, it now integrates with almost everything it seems like. And if they don't integrate with something, they have a workaround <laughs> to be able to help you automate it with some code. So if there are any entrepreneurs overloaded listening, I definitely suggest you look into Zapier for sure. And Trello, I know I totally get, I use this, or I used to use Asana, which is a very similar tool, very helpful for tracking. <laughs> In terms of the work your team does for marketing and scheduling and later and just overall prepping your materials, how do you make sure you incorporate connecting the consumers to the story of the YU women and the bags for your brand and creating content around that story to make sure that the message comes across and that people are very much aware of what goes into each bag? That's a great question. It's continuously educating the consumer about how the bag is made, who makes it, where it's made, who's behind these bags, that there's over 150 artisans behind Lombia working full time. And I think this story needs to be told by telling the story of each artisan, by telling the magic that's woven inside each of the threads. Uh, this is told not only in social media, but also in the product packaging and all over our Instagram. We try to communicate as much, although there's so much more we could do and so much more to be done. But it's very important to tell the story of, of the artisan in order to connect the consumer with the brand because at the end, the only thing between the consumer and the artisan is me, which I don't see myself as a third party, but as the salesperson for these artisans, right? I am the connector. So I try to do my best to connect everybody that buys a bag with the artisans. And we have a few things coming up in terms of packaging that's really exciting to help better tell that story. But it is absolutely the first and foremost important thing. The most important thing to communicate is the story of the artisans, which is told, yes, through branding and through social media. That's great. So in a world where there are a few other YU bag producers that we sort of see, especially in America, do you think telling that story is one of the major ways that you stand out in terms of standing out from the other brands? The two things that Lombia focuses is great design and great quality and affordable price points, right? This is what we focus on. 
And I think that good design with good quality at a good price point are three points that are very hard to get elsewhere. You might get one of the two or the two, but you'll still be missing one. You might get great design at great quality, but it'll be very expensive. Or if you want affordable price, you might not get the beautiful designs that you like or the great quality. Here, you don't have to compromise any of the three. And that's what we really focus on. But of course, there's a lot of people selling white bags and the market is huge. There's almost 8 billion people in the world. So there's a slice of pie for everybody. One thing that we absolutely try to avoid is to not look at our competitors' designs because we know that the minute we look at their designs, we'll have them in our head. And then when it's our turn to get into the flow and start designing, we'll design something that we think is ours, which is really inspired by our competitors. So to try and stay original, we avoid looking at what other people are doing and look outside of other YU bag companies. It's, a, it's sort of similar to music and it's hard it's hard to not be inspired. Um, yeah. Since you brought up the price point, I actually did want to sort of ask you how you maintain that affordability. Because what I've noticed in the YU bag market, and definitely one of the reasons we started working with you through purchasing a couple of years ago, is definitely because one of the main ethos of I, this was before I even was part of Ocelot Market, is to have affordable products that are made well and also made ethically. How do you sort of maintain that affordability? Would you say the automation is a huge part of that too, is just being very lean with your operations? Because like I've definitely seen bags that you sell the similar size of twice as much, if not three times as much in price. And it's hard for me to pinpoint what the difference in the bag is. We are extremely lean with our operations. <laughs> and like I say, I automate a lot of things instead of getting people and I don't have to manage a huge team at the end, maybe working behind the scenes. We are no more than five or six. And even that includes freelancing and hiring for specific projects. But really every day we're only two people plus the accounting, let's say four people. So I think keeping lean is definitely one and keeping costs down our packaging is quite simple we really focus on quality and design but our marketing efforts we don't have extravagant costs where our spending really goes is in the bag itself it's in the product of the bag is yes the product that's great do you have any tips for me as a retailer communicating the story and just the sort of work that goes into the bag to our consumers because like I definitely notice in our in our new shop in New Orleans you know it's a it's the first time some of the many people see these bags they love them but the fact that it's made in Colombia the fact that it's made by a woman the fact that it takes a week to make is, is not necessarily something that's right away intuitive do you have any tips sort of for retailers purchasing YU bags for how to communicate that to the consumer if you are a wholesaler that is representing Lombia, I hope that within the next couple of weeks, we will have a really, really beautiful branding that we'll start including with the bags, which tells the story of the product much better. 
and it will have a really cute detail that really connects the consumer with the product and with the artisan. But one thing that can be done is, of course, having information about the artisans by the products is talking to your customer about, you know, how far away and the kilometers and miles that this bag has traveled to be in their hands. Not only does it come from Colombia, but it comes from the most remote part of Colombia. It comes from a desertic region where there's no telephone signal, even in these communities. Uh, I can't get a hold of them until they come into the city. It's really feeling the magic. I have so many resources on my blog to read the stories and to read the stories of the artisans and where the bag comes from. So you as a retailer can really share that story. Yes, and I, I love that you even put the hang tags on each of the bags. It might seem so small, but I, I love that. That alone connects people to the brand right away too. I could ask you a million other questions for sure, given that it's already been 40 minutes or so. I can definitely sort of pivot to asking you, so I'm guessing with the pandemic, you haven't had the chance to go visit the artisans in quite a while. Is that accurate? Yeah, because you were regularly to visit them, weren't you? Or it's kind of an unknown with the situation with COVID? Yes, I used to go right at the beginning. I was going once every four to five weeks, which was so intense and so labor intensive. After a couple of years, I started going once every two to three months. And this was also just to see what models were being produced to check up on the artisans and to really build those relationships. And this I was doing for about two years. But the minute pandemic hit, I think I was so lucky that we have built such solid relationships because with all the lockdowns in Colombia, which were extremely strict lockdowns, I was unable to go to La Guajira and with no vaccine, considering, you know, the distance and considering the healthcare in the desert, I didn't want to find myself in a compromising position. So I put off going actually until December or was it January 2021. So I was there about six months ago. And again, it was really just to reinforce our relationships and to say hello, but I haven't been back since. I would like to go back very soon because it's way overdue. But yes, because of the condition right now, it's a little bit difficult for me to go as frequently as I would like to. Yeah, I I know it's a very unfortunate times we're in, but it sounds like you would credit a lot of that one-on-one personal time to the success of your business in terms of meeting the artisans and developing those relationships instead of, you know, communicating entirely over the internet or WhatsApp and never actually having met in person. It sounds like a lot of the success you would credit to meeting them in person. Yeah, I have to say we're very fortunate because before lockdown, we had been working with a lot of artisans for maybe up to two years prior. So they know exactly how we work and there's trust both ways. No, there's trust that we will give them continuous work, that we will actually pay them because we pay 50% upfront and then we pay the other 50 once 
the merchandise arrive just in case there's anything that needs to be returned. We pay once everything is here in the office. So there is a lot of trust that has to go both ways that we were able to establish pre-pandemic. I think that if we were just starting off, you know, even a year prior to pandemic, this would have disappeared for sure. Would you recommend somebody anywhere around the world? I mean, it's a little bit challenging right now, but if someone wants to start a similar business that those personal, physical meetings, important to establishing the business? So not only are you dealing with artisans, but you're dealing with Colombian artisans. And not only are they Colombian artisans, but they're indigenous Colombian artisans. So here there's three things to tackle, and it is so important, the face-to-face. I think there's a personal connection that needs to be built with the artisans. Working in Colombia is very different from working in the U.S. or working in Europe where you put in an order and it's business only. But here it's not business only. You chat, uh, small talk is extremely important. The power of small talk cannot be undermined in this country. But you talk about your personal things, their family, having that personal connection is step one before developing a business connection. It's not possible to develop a business connection first. So yes, For anybody that would be interested in working with artisans, especially in Colombia, I think the first thing to keep in mind is that personal contact is extremely, extremely important. And getting right down to business does not work here in Colombia. Actually, people are not receptive to that at all. Just throwing money in people's faces is not a good enough incentive. People aren't interested just in money. There's so many other things to working with people. And the first is to get along. Uh, The first is to have a good relationship. Then later, we can discuss money. But money is definitely not the most important thing here. Good words of wisdom, especially in America. Sometimes we are so removed from just even these physical relationships in this online world. And with that in mind, do you have any tips for someone who would like to start a similar business? I mean, this might be a hard question because I'm asking you sort of globally as to how to even start with finding an artisan group to work with who makes products while also, you know, trying to create a a unique business. I've seen people do this virtually and I've seen a lot of Asian people do this virtually. And I find that amazing because I don't know how they were able to build a working relationship with artisans via internet. But I think it's doing a lot of research because artisans, unlike traditional manufacturer, they might not deliver on time or everybody says they can do it and then it's not really what you expect in terms of quality or in terms of lead times or in terms of many things. It might not meet your expectations. So I think for anyone that wants to work with artisans is to first do a lot of research to second tests. And third, I would recommend to travel and actually meet these people face-to-face. I think that's extremely important to building solid long-term relationships. Yeah, no, that's a good tip. In terms of research, do you think even just starting with Google? I know that it's definitely been recommended to me to start diving deep into Etsy because um, many, many artisans just don't have a website too so that's you know like but they might they might have a connection through 
I find often through an intermediary through Etsy or something like that. Or do you, were you thinking Google in terms of research? I honestly can't say because I met my artisans um, traveling. I never did any research in that internet sense. I, uh, I just went, traveled, and my research was done by constantly traveling every five weeks and asking around and meeting and meeting. I, I met so many artisans, so many to find the right ones. So I can't say how to go about finding them on the internet. My research was a little bit different and much more physical, but you have to start somewhere. Yes, and if yes, you're not that, Google, I guess Google's the way. Etsy yeah, also yeah. sounds like a great idea because I know there's a lot of artisans that, that sell handmade things there. As you pointed out, when you travel to and go to a lot of markets, a lot of the people who are selling the products are the makers. Yeah. In terms of start a conversation there you see a woman with a stand of YU bags and then you say where where'd you get these from it's like oh I made them and then <laughs> and then a whole business empire starts from there, from there. well even, even then it's tricky because traveling to La Guajira not everybody that sells a YU bag is a YU artisan some of them are providers some of them actually buy from artisans and pay a very low price and then resell so you actually, even going to La Guajira is not just a reliable source. You have to ask, you have to ask around. It took me three years to find the right artisans. Like I said, I've been working, so I've been working for six years in total. The first three years was all research. It really took a long time. Uh, just going to La Guajira is, um, is not enough. There's a lot of resellers, actually, and they might not even be YU. They might not even be indigenous. So it's, it's been quite challenging, but it's part of the journey. And it's part of the beauty of working with artisans. Yes, and, and working in any sort of fair trade business, it's so important to ask questions and to be very aware of your production. Like the, the fact that you were easily able to answer where the thread comes from is like really good, really impressive, you know, in terms of that's, that's something it's like the all aspects you're going to be asked every question so you 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 should probably ask them up front <laughs> okay well thank you jade i think we got to most of the questions are there any last points you wanted to make on our ig live i feel like i this is it this has been a no, thank you so much for for having me and taking the initiative to interview me yeah, this was a pleasure thank you so much and if you have any other questions and for every, anybody else that has any questions, feel free to reach out at www.lombia.co. So it's Lombia and Co, which is Colombia backwards. And I look forward to seeing you in my store and anything that you might wonder, I'd be glad to answer. This is a 100% transparent company. We know uh, the entire production line from start to finish and we'd be glad to answer any questions. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good day. Rest of your Thursday. Bye, everyone. You too. Bye. Thank you, Jade, for a fantastic conversation. You can find Lombia's products on Ocelot Market's website and by visiting their site directly. In case you're not familiar with Ocelot Market, it's a curated global marketplace for artisan-made products. All of the clothing, shoes, home decor, and gift items are handmade around the world, and I encourage you to check out ocelotmarket.com.